When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to Dirty Sexy History. My name is Jessica Kale, and we're running a little behind this week because, well, that's what happens when you go down a rabbit hole of 17th century French legal documents. Sounds like fun, right? Anyway, today is my birthday, and I thought that I would dedicate this episode to talking about one of my favorite people from history, the Chevalier de Saint-Georges. Fans of the blog might remember the Chevalier because I have written about him before, but today we're going to go into his life in a little bit more detail and also talk about his relationship with Mozart as well. Now, my blog post about him is one of our more popular ones on the site, thanks in no small part to the Bridgerton series on Netflix. You see, when Bridgerton came out last year, there were a few people who lost their collective minds when the Duke of Hastings was played by a black actor, the phenomenal Reggae Jean Page, who showed the men of Mayfair how to rock a velvet coat and ruin spoons for us forever. If you know, you know. Honestly, I don't see why anyone would complain about that, but Karen's got a Karen, and the internet was soon flooded with bad takes that sounded something like, I'm not a racist, but... Everyone knows there were no black people in England prior to 1960, let alone titled ones. For what it's worth, this is actually how you conjure me. You draw a pentagram on the floor, pour a cup of good Earl Grey, and then you say something inane like, gay people or black people or independent women or birth control didn't exist prior to 1960, and then I just appear in a puff of smoke and tell you exactly what I'm about to tell you today. Of course they did. Of course they did. Guys, come on. Anyway, Black History is way bigger than one month, and it's sure as hell bigger than one 20-minute podcast episode. You know I can't cover everything here, and I'm not even going to try, but we will be covering a lot more of it in the future. And today, we're going to start with the incredible Chevalier de Saint-Georges, a man so talented that he made Mozart jealous so charismatic that the Prince of Wales had his portrait painted, and such a complete badass that his work contributed to the abolition of slavery in the French colonies in 1794. And that's just the start. So let's get there. Let's begin at the beginning. The Chevalier de Saint-Georges was born Joseph Boulogne in Guadeloupe in 1745. His father was George Boulogne de Saint-Georges, a French nobleman, and his mother was Anne, affectionately called Nanon, who was an enslaved 16-year-old girl from Senegal. Okay, we're not off to a great start here. Now, I'm not going to tell you that George was a good guy. Not only was he married, but, well, he raped a 16-year-old girl. But he tried to do right by his second family, you know, for what that's worth. George fell in love with Nanon, who was said to be one of the most beautiful women in the West Indies, and he adored their son. Not only did he acknowledge them both, but he provided for them as well. 
When Joseph was seven, George took him to France to be educated, and then he brought Nanon back to France as well on his next trip two years later. In France, Nanon was a free woman, and George set them up in an apartment in Saint-Germain. As a teenager, Joseph drew attention for his extraordinary skill at fencing. Although he was a popular student, not everyone was happy to see him succeed. He was openly mocked by Alexandre Picard, a fencing master from Rouen, and the man's harassment of him eventually led to a public match between them while Joseph was still only a student. The match drew a huge crowd, and it was seen as more significant than they'd originally intended. At the time, the public was divided between people who were in favor of slavery and those who were very much against it. Never mind that it was a match between an adult professional and a child, but the match was held up as almost a demonstration of skill and physical prowess between the races. No pressure, right? So what happened? Well, you'll be pleased to hear that although he had significantly less experience, Joseph absolutely destroyed him. It was quite an achievement for one so young, and the win helped to push public opinion just a little bit further in the right direction. Joseph's father, George, was so proud of his victory that he gave him a horse and buggy. This is like doing so well at football, your dad buys you a car. All right. Well, not long after that, Joseph graduated from the fencing academy, and he became a chevalier. He took his father's title and became known as the Chevalier de Saint-Georges. In addition to his considerable skill with the sword, Saint-Georges was an exceptionally talented musician. In 1769, he played violin in Gossec's orchestra, known as Le Concert des Amateurs. He became a concertmaster within only two years and played his first solos by 1772. When Gossick took a position at another orchestra in 1773, Saint-Georges took over as director at the age of only 28, and under his leadership, the orchestra became one of the best in Europe. He was such a success that when his father died in 1774, Saint-Georges was able to support his mother and himself from his earnings alone, eventually tutoring Marie Antoinette at Versailles. In 1778, Saint-Georges met a young composer by the name of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Perhaps you've heard of him. In the years that followed, Saint-Georges would often be referred to as the Black Mozart, but when they met, Saint-Georges was far more famous. Mozart, then only 22, was in Paris to try to establish a career in France. At this point, Saint-Georges was 33 and already a famous composer, violinist, and swordsman. He was close with Marie Antoinette, and they often performed together, which also rubbed Mozart up the wrong way. Mozart had had a crush on her since he was a child. But this was only the start of Mozart's hatred of the Chevalier. The year they met was one of the worst of Mozart's life. His mother died, and he found himself fighting for notice in Versailles, mourning, repeatedly unpaid, and thoroughly disenchanted with the French, who he described as frightfully arrogant and even immoral. He said they understood nothing about music, but that was the frustration talking. Saint-Georges led one of the best orchestras in Europe, and he clearly knew what he was doing. He was everything Mozart wasn't. Famous, successful, comfortable at the palace, popular with women, and close with the queen. The fact that he was black just made Mozart angrier. So what did he do? 
Well, it hasn't been definitively proven, but there is a very strong theory that the villain of Mozart's The Magic Flute, Monostatos, is actually based on Saint-Georges. Monostatos is a would-be rapist who schemes to win the daughter of the Queen of Night, and he's also black. Over the years, people have noted the fact that he's black with some confusion. Why go to the trouble of specifying the villain as black when his race doesn't actually matter? Well, to Mozart it did. He was trying to score a cheap point in the grand tradition of writers who base characters on people who they perceive to have wronged them. Saint-Georges didn't do anything to Mozart. He was just there, and he was infuriatingly perfect. It's unfair, then, that Saint-Georges later became known as the Black Mozart when, during his own lifetime, Mozart would have been lucky to be the White Saint-Georges. As it happens, it wasn't only Mozart who felt threatened by the Chevalier. That same year, in 1778, the Council of the King under Louis XVI signed an order forbidding white people from marrying black or mixed-race people within the kingdom. The black population of France was increasing, especially in Paris, and the powers that be were getting a bit twitchy about it. But you know they weren't the only ones. France had gone back and forth on the issue of interracial marriage among free people within the country and its colonies for years. Several acts throughout the 18th century had forbidden it, and there were certain occasions when it had been allowed. Although acts were passed to try to prevent it, France never had an actual law against interracial marriage. It was only allowed without restriction in 1833. Which is, you know, still more than a hundred years before it was allowed throughout the United States. <sighs> anyway, although it was difficult, if not actually impossible, to marry someone of another race, that doesn't mean that these relationships didn't happen. The acts, after all, didn't say anything about sex. Which is probably just as well. Saint-Georges had a lot of fans. He was a brilliant musician, of course, but he was also drop-dead gorgeous. He was particularly popular among the ladies of Paris, and he wasn't exactly complaining. He had several serious romantic relationships over his lifetime, but he remained unmarried until his death at only 53. When you look at the rest of his life, it's a wonder he had the time. By the mid-1780s, the Duke of Orléans became Saint-Georges' patron, giving him an apartment in the Palais Royal. It was with Orléans that Saint-Georges became involved with the abolitionist movement in France and England. Orléans sent Saint-Georges to England to secure the Prince of Wales' support, thinking his status as a celebrity and fencing star would win him an important friend. It did, and Saint-Georges quickly became a court favorite in England as well. While he was there, the Prince of Wales had his portrait painted by Mather Brown. Everyone agreed it was an excellent likeness, even the Chevalier, who seemed somewhat embarrassed by it. But he had nothing to worry about. This portrait is incredible. In it, Saint-Georges is wearing a tragic powdered wig, but that's not what you notice. He's incredibly handsome, even by modern standards, and he poses with a sword against a background of sheet music he composed while wearing a glorious coat worthy of Reggae Jean in Bridgerton. Hot. However, the Chevalier wasn't there to make friends and sit for sexy portraits. He was on a mission. Before he left France, Orléans' chief of staff, Brissot, had privately asked him to meet with several key abolitionists in England to ask for their advice on how to advance the abolition movement in France. And did he ever? 
Saint-Georges met with William Wilberforce, John Wilkes, and Reverend Thomas Clarkson, to name just a few. He spent the next two years between the two countries, continuing his work with the movement and having British abolitionist literature translated into French for the society that he founded with Brissot, the Society of the Friends of Blacks. Bear in mind, all this happened while he was conducting orchestras in France and irritating the absolute shit out of a 22-year-old Mozart. Where does he find the time? Anyway, the Chevalier's involvement with the abolition movement wasn't a secret. In 1789, the Morning Post published a cartoon called St. George and the Dragon, an illustration of Saint-Georges fighting a dragon that symbolized the slave trade. We're going to go ahead and put this on our Instagram, so make sure and check that out. And when you do, I want you to note the woman boxing in the background. That's his friend, the Chevalier Deon, a French spy, diplomat, and a transgender woman. Now, Deon was a really fascinating person, but we're not going to go into too much detail about her here. Don't worry, she's going to get her own episode. Of course she is. Anyway, all of this is a lot for a guy to keep up with. But if it wasn't enough to balance court life with conducting an orchestra and fighting for the abolition of slavery in two countries, the French Revolution happened. When the revolution erupted, Saint-Georges sided with the revolutionaries and eventually became colonel of his own regiment, the Légion Saint-Georges, the first all-black regiment in Europe. It attracted volunteers from all over the country, including Thomas Alexandre Dumas, the legendary father of author Alexandre Dumas. Dumas took over from Saint-Georges when he was arrested and very nearly executed. During the terror, Saint-Georges was held for months without ever being accused of any crime. Sadly, although he was eventually released, he was never able to reclaim his position in the army. While he was imprisoned, his mother passed away at the age of only 60. During the terror, she had taken the name Citizen Anne Deneveau, and she tried to help Saint-Georges by concealing her own African origins, at least on paper. She lived out most of her life as a free woman in Paris, and she left all of her belongings to her son. They remained close until her death. Though it was nowhere near the end of the struggle for emancipation in France, Saint-Georges was able to see some progress before the end of his life. Slavery was abolished in French colonies by the National Convention on February 4th of 1794. By the time Saint-Georges passed away of a bladder infection only five years later in 1799, he was a legend. U.S. President John Adams called him the most accomplished man in Europe. He had tutored a queen, led one of the best orchestras in Europe, founded a groundbreaking regiment, and he furthered the abolitionist cause in England and France. In 2001, the Paris City Council named a street in his honor, the Rue de Chevalier de Saint-Georges, but that's not his only legacy. Fortunately for us, he left behind tons of incredible music that you can still listen to online today. We'll share some of that on our various pages, but you can find it pretty easily on YouTube as well. Now, if you think that this story would make a good movie, you're not the only one. Searchlight Pictures has recently announced that they are currently working on a biopic about the Chevalier, written by Stephanie Robinson, a WGA award-winning writer on Atlanta and What We Do in the Shadows, and it's going to be directed by Stephen Williams, who worked on Watchmen and Westworld. Oh, guys, I can't wait to see it. 
This week, I'd like to extend a special thank you to friend of the podcast, Pi Pi Baltz, who sponsored a book for our next episode. Thank you so much, Pi Pi. And thank you also to our marvelous patrons on Patreon, Melanie Baker, Michael Beckwith, Bethany Bennett, Andy Christopher, Rachel Cooney, Michelle Dunbar, James Finch, Adriana Herrera, Howard David Ingham, Emma Young, Janine Meberg, Jessica Miller, Kelly Simon, Akko Spoot, and Sylvia Van Eyck. If you would like to support the show, you can find us on patreon.com slash dirtysexyhistory, where we'll be posting extras as we pull them together. You can also support us by rating, reviewing, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast. Everything, guys, is so much appreciated. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dirty Sexy History. Dirty Sexy History is an independent podcast, and this episode was written, researched, presented, etc. by me, Jessica Kale, and it was edited by Dr. John Jenkins. My sources today include Marcos Balter. His name is Joseph Boulogne, not Black Mozart, the New York Times. Gabriel Benat, the Chevalier de Saint-Georges, virtuoso of the sword and the bow. Pierre Bardin, Joseph de Saint-Georges, the Chevalier Noir. Jessica Dukin, the Chevalier de Saint-Georges, the man who got under Mozart's skin, the Independent. Michel Garnier Penafaux, the Chevalier de Saint-Georges, Afroclassical.com. Variety, Black Mozart biopic lands at Searchlight from director Stephen Williams, writer Stephanie Robinson. Gary Wallike, the Chevalier de Saint-Georges, fencer, composer, revolutionary, WBUR. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>